This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We are estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven women that are killing it in life. And they deserve to be celebrated. So on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and then in between those interview episodes, we'll be doing segments where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars, and we'll be (laughs) chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s and just learning more about one another because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun and we We have a super multicultural community and we kind of think that you might too. So why not talk all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Hell yes. Um, Also, we'll be answering listener questions. So make sure to write to us at truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys. So let's jump into the show. Hey girl. Hey. Alex, I have a question for you. What made you decide to become an esthetician? So what made me decide to become an esthetician? The very first time that I thought about it, I was getting a facial. And at the time I was dealing with some bad cystic acne for the first time in my life. I was in my very early 20s. And the esthetician who was giving me the facial was scolding me. She was not nice. She was not caring. She was not empathetic. And she told me that I was getting these breakouts because I wasn't washing my face enough, which I knew was bullshit because I was washing my face twice a day. I was taking I was taking pretty good care of my skin. And I kind of had figured out already at that point that it was definitely something internal. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, geez, like I... I wish like I were an esthetician so I could be caring towards people and really help them because it's upsetting when you're dealing with something that's out of your control and it's on your face. Totally. That was really what led me. And then what continued my drive when I was in school was just the creativity of it all. Mm -hmm. I don't think people realize how creative you can be as an esthetician or that you have to be to be able to customize treatments for clients, shaping eyebrows, all of it. And I I think that esthetician lacked creativity. (laughs) She just like looked at my skin and was like, oh, you have pimples. This is what I do for everyone who has pimples. There was no, nothing else involved, you know? Totally. So that's really what drove me. I wanted to help people who were dealing with what I was dealing with. And it's still like one of my favorite things to do is to treat 
acneic glands. Well, it sounds sort of like the first woman that you went to definitely didn't see you. She just heard what you were saying and just like really responded in whatever way she wanted to respond to rather than really listening to you and yes and what you needed right agreed what about you what um drove you to become an esthetician well I think that at the end of the day what made me want to become an esthetician is something that I didn't know how to describe in words until I was well into my career but it's the combination of artistry and empathy to be great at what we do I think you learn how to look beyond the faces of the clients that we work with through the physical structure of their specific features and combine that to create an aesthetic of a person's aura. I think a lot of what we do is give the gift of a person's true identity to them through their outer appearance. Yes, and that is exactly what our guest, master wig maker, hairstylist, and the owner of Bespoke Wig Company, Hers by Chantel, Chantel Cretherel, has made a career out of. Chantel's work was in Tony Award-nominated Motown on Broadway, Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It on Netflix, and Oscar-winning film Black Klansman. However, her true specialty and calling lies beyond these incredible accolades. Chantel's mastery lies in seeing a person's true self beyond their physical features. She then crafts magnificent hair pieces, strand by strand, for her clients struggling with medical hair loss, such as those with alopecia and those battling cancer. I loved interviewing Chantel because she taught me so much about the craft of making a wig, the dedication behind the artistry, and her joy of giving back to the community. She's an educator as well as a practitioner and speaks of the importance of teaching women of color her craft. Alex mentioned that she made John Washington's wig for a Klansman, but she also taught the hair department head the art of wig making. Chantel shares how she apprenticed with the best of the best, including working at the Di Pietro Todd Salon in San Francisco, to learning from master wig maker to the stars, Joseph Paris. Back in the day, he made wigs for Elvis Presley, which I thought was so fucking cool. <laughs> Same. She uses all of her talents to create one-of-a-kind, masterful hair pieces that are truly works of art. So before all of that, she was a girl growing up in the Bay Area, keeping her hands busy at 16, painting her parents' house. Like their entire house. <laughs> she scraped, primed, spackled, top coat, everything. <laughs> Alex, my parents begged and pleaded with all four of us kids one summer to help paint the house. And this girl gladly did it meticulously. <laughs> okay, my parents asked me to make my bed. And I couldn't even <laughs> handle that. <laughs> but I think that is so telling of just the person that she is. And also that what she did leading up to her career, she always did the best of the best. Mm -hmm. You know, she did not mess around. No. So. And she, the girl actively worked to keep herself busy, which I said, think says a lot about, you know, her work ethic and her character. And I mean, you guys are going to find out soon. So instead of us just gushing yes. over this incredible <laughs> woman, why don't you just listen to our interview? So enjoy our interview with the founder of Hers by Chantel, Chantel Carthero. I'm Chantel Carthel and I'm a hairstylist wig maker. So um Chantel, you you and I met through a mutual friend mm -hmm. and um Jorge was telling me that you specialize really in wigs for cancer patients and for people who are sort of going through um, different things with their hair and need uh, a wig more so than just for vanity purposes. Yeah, I mean, I would say 
I'm just all thing all things wigs and hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but what got me into wig making really was my interest in being able to help people that were facing some type of hair loss. So that as a hairstylist, as someone who had built a relationship with these people that I could, you know, if they came to me and they said, I'm undergoing, you know, chemotherapy, um, I'm going to lose my hair. Where do I find a wig that I didn't have to send this person that I have, you know, built this relationship with and that I care about to someone else? Yes. And so, I mean, the same with people with alopecia. I had a client that um, lost her hair after four years of coming to me just for haircuts. Mm. And it was such an incredible feeling when she was going through that process, being able to hold her hand and say, okay, if this happens, okay. I got you. Mm-hmm. And if you lose all of your hair, I'm going to be right here and don't worry about it. I'll, I'll make you a wig. You're taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. Okay. Awesome. So since that's the overview, let's start from the beginning. Okay. So um, where did you grow up? So I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, I went to Berkeley schools mostly and then... If you're familiar with the Bay Area, it's really small, and uh, Berkeley and Oakland are next door, they're neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a good amount of time in Berkeley, and then I moved to Oakland and lived there for about 10 years. Um, and then when I was about 30, I moved to New York. Okay. So um, what did you think that you wanted to be when you were growing up? So when I was growing up, um, I was surrounded around a lot of people. I mean, education was really big, and all of my friends were, you know, going to some of the top universities, Berkeley, UCLA, USC, and others, and I felt that I needed to follow that path, and so I wanted to be a dentist. I wanted to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. you know, like, which is so funny because now that I think about it, because it's like... Yeah, no, that's I'm I'm such a creative, right? And I'm like, no. Yeah, dentistry is very. It's a very specific doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> I don't something. know. Maybe I met a dentist that I liked. Yeah. I don't know. It was like I want to be you. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay. And so then I, you didn't pursue that. Yeah. And then yeah. what did you end up doing instead? So when I was um, nineteen, um, I decided to. Um, I wasn't able to just go straight from high school to college Mm -hmm. and so for financial reasons. So then I got a job at UC Berkeley and an an entry-level administrative job. And so I worked there for about four years um, and then I ended up from there like – when my when I was off from work, I found my time doing people's hair. Mm -hmm. Like I would literally leave work, go home, and do hair. Mm. And so... Was it just, like, for side money, like, extra money? No, because initially I did it for free. Mm, mm-hmm. I did it for free. Yeah. Yeah, and so... Um, did you feel like you just had this, like, creative... Because up until now, you haven't really mentioned anything about being, like, a creative or working in any, like, sort I of creative... I was, actually. Okay. So, um, I grew up uh, pretty heavily in the arts. So... Um, during summer, the summer months when my friends were, like, off playing, mm-hmm. I was in art classes. Mm. Um, I was in music classes. I played the piano and the violin from a very young age. I entered every 
you know, musical program mm. th- that was out there. Um, I auditioned for some of the best, even at Berkeley. I didn't get in, but yeah, I auditioned yeah. for it. Um, what, kind and, of, uh, what kind of music did you like to play? So it was all classical. Mm-hmm. It was all classical. Mozart, Beethoven, Bach. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then I even tried a little Rachmaninoff, but my hands weren't... Uh, l- my hands weren't big enough, so I couldn't reach an octave. Mm-hmm. Um, so that didn't re- really work for me. But yeah, um, yeah no, I've always been a creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a kid, I would, I I just spent my time creating. Mm-hmm. I would write poems. Oh wow. Um, I would paint. Yeah. Um, you name it, I did it. And when I was sixteen, I even took on. Uh, painting the entire house and we had a huge house <laughs> and it needed to be painted yeah the inside or the outside the outside the yeah. exterior yeah yeah so it needed to be painted so I said I'll do it oh my god when you're so 16 I was 16 oh my god so I literally uh uh what do they call it um the paint roller yeah, not that, but what's the first step? It's like where you scrape the paint off. Um, there's a there's a term for it. Okay. I can't remember. Okay. You, where you scrape the, ta- the paint off, uh-huh. then you go back with a sander. Yes. You sand the entire surface down. Yes. Then you go back over it with spackle, right? And then you fill in the little grooves, and then you go back over it with another sander, and Wait. then you prime it, did and you then really you paint it. Yes, you I did. did the whole thing? I did the whole thing. Oh, my God. My parents tried to get us to paint our house. It, <laughs> It took it took me the entire three months. Yes, yeah, it took me have. the entire summer. Oh my god! And what did your parents say? Um, well, at first they were like not surprised because right. I would if I wasn't trying to start a business or mm-hmm. make money braiding people's hair. Yeah, I would charge people like people within the community would <laughs> pay me to clean up their house because I was very thorough. Uh-huh. Um I was planning dance routines. Nice. I was, you know, putting together little productions and so no one was really surprised. Wait, I need to hear more about you cleaning your neighbors' houses. You yeah. just like, went next how did they how did this start? You were just like, do you guys need yeah, I mean, they they I knew that I was like I, they knew you were entrepreneurial. <laughs> I don't I don't even know if that's what it is. I don't know. I don't I don't remember. Like that was so long ago how yeah. I got started. I'm sure I offered, but like back then, like those micro braids were in, and mm. so people would pay me to take their braids out. It would take ten hours, but I would do it. Yeah, they give me twenty dollars, and I felt wow. like you know I was rich. Yeah, nope. I remember those Now, nah, you couldn't get me to do that now. Yeah, I remember, I remember having $8 when I was a kid and thinking it was so much yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for even for me, though, I, was, I wasn't as attached to uh, making money as I was to um, learning. Mm. Um, I just wanted to be good at everything. Yeah. And so... Yeah, you know, it's like, let me take your braids out. Okay, oh, I'll clean your house. Right. And <laughs> and I was so, so thorough, and I'm super detail-oriented about, like, if I decide to do something, I'm mm-hmm. going, I'm not missing a spot. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah. I'm that happened. I'm still so impressed by that, that you painted this entire house. I painted the entire That's house. incredible. Yeah. I like it can't wait to tell my parents they're gonna be like why was she our child yeah, before and yeah. then you guys would even do it i'm just like when did i have time to go to school i don't know yeah 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 
Wow. Okay. So, uh, how old were you during that time? So all through until you're 16 or so. Until I was 16. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then what was next for you at 16? So, um, when I was 16, I was still in high school. I was a junior. Um, because I was always in so many, like taking summer school courses and uh, so many, you know, classes and extra classes. I was also in orchestra. Uh, by the time I was a junior, I had all of my credits to graduate. Mm. So I was, I was done. You all of this and painted houses. Yeah, painted I houses. did. I know. Wow. I know. I know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, even like talking about it, it's not something that anyone ever asks me about or anything mm-hmm. I really think to share. Right. But so like hearing myself say it, I'm like, all right. Yes. yes, yes okay. Yes. Well, all this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. All of this today makes sense. Yeah. No, I like to reverse engineer. I think especially when you end up in a, I don't know. It's fun to think back and be like, how did this happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I ended up in a place I never thought that it would be, so maybe it's different for me, whereas you, it seems like kind of, well, you'll tell us <laughs> about always liking to do hair, but um, it's fun. It's fun to sit back and kind of yeah, look yeah. at the path that you've been on. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry. So continue. 16. So you're ready to graduate. Graduate high school early at mm-hmm. 16. Painter. Well, I could have graduated early, but at that time I had, I moved out of the house and I wanted to spend that last year at school with my friends. I never really had a childhood, so I never really got to, uh, experience going out with friends and doing those things. And so for me, this was that opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like I moved out, I'm an adult now, so I can do, I can do what I want to do. And so during that time, I just took on, um, you know, just like proctoring classes where I would just like sit in and help the teacher take attendance. Um, And then I did some other things that I'm not so proud of. You know, I for sure, you know, helped some of my friends get better grades. But um, I mean, you're 16. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I felt very powerful. Yes, you accomplished a lot. I felt very point. powerful with that pen and piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just like, erase that grade. Make right. that F into A. <laughs> I know. Well, no, that says a lot, too, that the teachers... Could you imagine trusting a 16-year-old to run your class? No. That's a lot about you, yeah. I think, that they would trust you. I mean, adults always that. really trusted me. They were just like, oh, give that to Chantel. She'll yeah. do it. right. Yeah, so... um I didn't actually graduate early because I hung around my senior year to mm-hmm. just enjoy. That's perfect. Um, when I finished, um, when I graduated, um, I had already got, I got into several universities, but at that time I couldn't afford to go. Mm-hmm. And so I just started working. And so from there I started working at UC Berkeley and eventually made my way over to uh, the athletics department worked my way up at 21 was, you know, um, uh, an assistant to the, uh, chief of staff. I coordinated, you know, 200 person plus, uh, chartered flights for the football and basketball team. And I basically worked directly with the donors and it's just like, so that, that was my daytime thing. Yes. And then when I was done, I found myself always doing my friend's hair. Right. And so that was how I would decompress. Right, right, right. And I think it was like at that moment, um, maybe years after, you know, doing that job, realizing that I wasn't feeling fulfilled. And I was just like, 
picturing my life 10 years from then and just saying, no, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Like, like you said earlier, there's got to be more. Yes. Yeah. And so when I was 21, I was already starting to plant the seeds and I was just like, well, if I'm going to do hair, I'm going all the way. Yeah. And I know I could work in the corner shop. But no, I'm going to work at the top salons. Yes. And I'm going to train under the best people. And so it took me a few years um, to save up. But then I went to beauty school when I was like 24. Okay. So how did you... So when you're in beauty school and you said, I'm going to go and work for the top people, did you map out a plan for yourself and say like, okay, I'm going to you know, reach out to these people? I'm going to go and see what I have to do in order to work for them? Or what did that look like for you? Um, I basically researched the top salons, um, not just top salons, but salons that had, um, strong, uh, apprenticeship programs. Mm -hmm. And, um, I found a salon called Di Pietro Todd in San Francisco. And a lot of their education was based around Vidal Sassoon, Mm -hmm. which, Vidal Sassoon, if you know, like, the majority of, like, the high-end hair industry look to his techniques. Um, and, and like, basically, everybody goes there. That's, mm-hmm. that's, everybody goes to the Vidal Sassoon handbook of haircutting. Mm-hmm. And then whatever you choose to do with that, make it your own, whatever. But okay. that's where people tend to look to. Okay. Um, All right. So, um, and then you started working for him? So I started working at D. Pietro Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that those were the most challenging years of my life. Mm-hmm. How long did you? Work I there? I was there for two years. Okay. Um, and then I moved to New York. But I was there for two years, and basically what a day looked like was they were very busy. You know, it was working eight hours, sometimes more, on your feet nonstop. Um, with clients and <clears throat> and then on your days off you had to go out in the streets of San Francisco to find hair models that were very specific mm. to the haircut that you were doing and specific in a way that that they had to have if you're cutting a square shape on someone which I'm sorry if I'm talking over you but like if if you're cutting a square shape on someone then they had to have certain hair density, Mm. certain, you know, hairline. Mm -hmm. So, like, you're stopping people in the middle of the street. Hey, can you come get a free haircut? By the way, let me put my hands through your hair and look at your hairline. Right, right, right. Let me see if you're good enough. Yeah, exactly. Because (laughs) because then if I would take them back and they weren't appropriate for the haircut or for what I was doing, Mm -hmm. then I would get written up. And then they would be like, you have 20 minutes to go out on the street wow. and find another hair model. Wow. That is right. Yes. So. Oh, God, that's terrible. And, and I needed four of those every week. Yes. And so I was like, well, how do I find these models? Yes. You know, when I'm working so many hours. Yes. So what did you do? I found those models. <laughs> you said, did we get I found those models. Yeah. I would go like so late at night. Week, and you did this for two years? Every I week did that for two this? years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of hair. Yeah. So, but that's awesome. Mm. And then at the end of two years, how did you feel? At the end of the two, two years, I mean, I felt good. I wasn't really done with my program because most people, you know, took up to like four years. Mm. Um, but then... 
I had a tragedy that happened in my life that basically just pushed me to move to New York. Mm-hmm. So Okay. So then you came to New York, and what was your plan when you were coming to New York? I mean, aside from dealing with the tragedy that you had to come to, to deal with, um, what was your plan for once you got here? Like, you said, okay, I've got to go out there, I've got to handle my shit, but I'm going to be... Did you have yeah. a plan to stay, or was your plan initially just to come for a little bit? No. So, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know that I really was thinking clearly. Um, I'm usually a planner, probably over plan sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't say that I really had a concrete plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew where I saw myself going. Yes. I didn't know how I was going to get there. Yes. I love that. I love that because it's, uh, that's, uh, I think that's the way that you should build a life personally, right? Is I, I think if you're goal oriented, at least like figure out what you want and then how do you get there? And once you figure out what you want, it doesn't matter the route that you take. You'll do anything that you need to do to get there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. So you figured out the life that you wanted to make. What did that look like for you? Um, huh? Well, I think at that time, what I was thinking was, okay, if I'm going to do this, um, I want to, do you know do hair behind the scenes for fashion week Mm -hmm. I want to do editorial uh work I want to uh work with celebrities like you know back then I was thinking well if I've done these things I've arrived you know that's what I wanted to do I wanted to be able to charge a lot of money for my haircuts right I wanted to be respected Mm -hmm. for what I for what I do Mm -hmm. and so yeah yeah I think that's really what I saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For now sure. it's changed. Yes, as it should. Yeah. Because, I mean, once one is I would assume, I know that you've reached some of those goals, so you have to continue to make new ones, yeah, right? Yeah. And then once, also once you get some of those goals, you realize that that's not actually what you wanted. Mm. It's something else that maybe you wanted that you thought you would get from that goal. Right. right? But the beautiful like, thing is <laughs> I needed... I needed to think that I wanted those things back then. That's what led me exactly. here. Yes. Had you told, had I told myself like years ago that I was going to be where I'm at now, I don't know that I would have wanted that. It wouldn't have been as appealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So then you moved to New York and what age were you at this point? I or what was, year was this? Let's say that. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, you don't have to tell me. No, no, no. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not someone who cares about stuff like that. But it I'm was sure two, it was 2009. Okay. Yeah. Because I turned 30 here. Yeah. Okay. It was 2009. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 2009, you're working Fashion Week. You do, Are you doing yeah. all the things that you wanted to do but at this more point? Like, more like, more still assisting. It's okay. like, I I realized that I didn't finish my program in San Francisco and that I had to continue mm-hmm. um, out here. And so I did that for another two years, mm-hmm. two and a half years, shit. Oh, excuse me. Two and a half years. Yes. And then, um, yeah, during that time, I got to do a lot of really incredible things, a lot of, you know, Fashion Week shows, um, a lot of assisting for editorial work. A lot of assisting. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the good thing is, like, I got, I still got to experience those things. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then after you experienced those things and you checked those things off your list, what did the rest of, uh, at that point, what did you think was next for you? Um, at that point, 
I think that's when I, I became interested in making wigs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of like knocking at the door, but I hadn't quite answered yet. You know, yes. I was just like, hmm, and it kept knocking. Yeah. But I was just like, go away. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, that was the time, I mean, what year is it now? 2020, we're talking about like 11 years ago. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. <sighs> oh, what date is it? I'm approaching my 10th year. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It's great. Yes, girl. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I'm really just like, where did time go? I know. But the the incredible thing about being in New York is that um, things are constantly moving. And so I feel like I've done so much in 10 years mm-hmm. that, like, so much to be proud of. Yeah. Like, a lot of growth has happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, and I'll continues. I want to hear about all those things. Yeah. Um, so 2009, the reason I bring that up is because that's sort of when, and tell me if I'm wrong, but like the general cultural zeitgeist became aware of and fascinated by and needed to have wigs. I think like beyond just people of color, white ladies found out about wigs, everybody found out about lace fronts, Beyonce, all this stuff. So do you think that that was sort of what was happening also to sort of draw you into that world or would you say no? Not really, not really. I mean, because people were like, even if they were wearing wigs, they weren't wearing them proudly, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's the difference is that sure, Beyonce was wearing a wig, but you remember when someone noticed that a little lace front was like showing on her at one mm-hmm. of her performances yeah. and it was like <gasps> yeah she's wearing a wig yeah. yeah yeah you know i mean people weren't wearing them proudly right and i feel like that has changed and people are just like ooh i have my 20 inch you know right brazilian wave yes. you know they're they're bundles, proud bundles, yeah bundles. Bundles. they're yeah. proud yeah, yeah, yeah. they're yeah there there just isn't the same like shame totally. attached to it 100% uh, the interesting things about wigs and and beauty and, and especially for I mean in, within the um, the minority community in this country, let's say like when Aretha died, I was looking at all of these old like album covers and just seeing like wigs, mm-hmm. wigs, like looking at the makeup because when you're a kid, I don't know, I, I never looked that closely, and now being a beauty professional, it's interesting to just like look back and see all of the tricks that they used that were so real to me at the time. Yeah. It was just magic. And it was like, how are these ladies always changing their hair? And da, da, da. But you're right. It was magic because we didn't talk about it. Yeah. Nobody talked about the fact that they're We didn't know, like, yeah. how they were able to achieve those looks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. So um, so when you say that it started to speak to you, like wig making, what what's was that like what was it that was drawing you to that um that aspect of your career well I think that as a creative um I've always been really drawn to which is kind of funny but like I used to watch a lot of old movies when Mm -hmm. I was a teenager I watched all of the old black and white movies and you know a lot of the women back then wore wigs um I didn't really know why I was drawn to it back then, but as I got older and um, uh, more into my career, I was able to 
identify why it uh, it caught my attention. So I was really drawn to wig making because I used to watch all of these old movies. Um, and then just as a creative, I think once I reached a certain point in my apprenticeship program, and even like, as we call it as hairstylists, like working on the floor as a hairstylist, taking clients, I just felt like, all right, I'm not learning anything really new, any anything right. new anymore. Yeah, I need something new. Right, and then you've been also girls off the street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and let's be honest, like you know, it's just it wasn't nearly as glamorous as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Every other person that came in wanted long layers with bangs, with a beach wave, and I was just like. No. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this can't be it. Yeah. This can't be it. Yeah. And so, you know, I, at the time, had a friend who was a wig maker, and she um, she was also a hairstylist, and she had someone in her chair who came in, and the woman uh, was missing hair. It was It was probably four inches in diameter i would say at the crown of her head she it was completely bald she walked in eyes down wouldn't make any eye contact super insecure and my friend had made her this hairpiece because my friend uh, had theater experience so she made wigs and she put this hairpiece on this woman and this woman by the time she left that head went up yeah she was making eye contact she yeah. was smiling yeah and so i was just like oh yes mm-hmm. so it was like that and yeah. it was also i think at that moment moment the dots for me were connected because i was like oh i've actually really been drawn to this all along like all of those old movies i used to watch and even now like i'm very like drawn to like anything from the Elizabeth era, like with all of the wigs and the art. And so for me, yeah, it was just like an opportunity to grow and to learn. And every single person is different. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm going to be cutting long layers all day or doing the same bob. Totally. Because everyone is so unique. Yeah. And you're actually then making, it's you're kind of working backwards rather than seeing the subject and working with what you have you can create first, and yeah. then she can find the subject. Yeah. She, the, or he. Do you call your wigs by? <laughs> I call. She, she's a she. She's a she, right? She's a she. <laughs> and then she can find her home. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Very interesting. Um, the transformative nature is uh, a really interesting facet of that, I think. Um, I see it often in my line of, in, well, we're in the same line of work, but with like lashes and brows and skincare, specifically skincare, just to see... So, you know, hair, it's probably the same, and eyebrows, it's this thing that everybody has that you, when you have it, you take it for granted, mm-hmm. because you don't realize what it is to not be able to have it, or to right, have hair loss, right, or to be, right. to feel, for women to feel unfeminine, right? Yeah, Which, yeah. not having hair isn't unfeminine, but if it's what you want, right, it's like your goal is to have long hair, or what have you, and you lose it. I can imagine that can be really traumatizing yeah. and very difficult. Um, so it's awesome that you get to, okay, so let's talk more about that though so uh was that after you saw that first transformation what was your next step uh my next step was uh trying to find someone to teach me and so from there I uh decided to work at a wig shop um and the name of the wig shop was Joseph Paris I mean I don't know if he is still around um but he made a lot of 
really beautiful lace wigs. And back in the day, he used to make wigs for Elvis. I mean, you name it. What? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I basically worked there for free. So the wig making craft, is it kind of like, um, I don't know, it kind of seems like it's a very, very old skill, like an old craft form that's oh, yeah. apprenticed and passed down, which I honestly never it's even thought It's been around for centuries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So is is that what most people do is they find like a master craftsman and then go and apprentice? Yeah, I mean, I well, I think nowadays there are uh, different avenues. I actually know someone who got their master's in mm-hmm. wig making. So, like, from a university. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which right, right, right. I had no idea that that was even a thing. And yeah. then I'm just like, oh, well, wow. wow. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. going to be so cool. Yeah. Just like, and she's brilliant. Yeah. She's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, two or four-year program, just taking it nose deep in, like, wig books. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I don't even... Well, it's, what's so interesting is, like... It's not just about, like, hair and creating something beautiful. It's, like, not just superficial. Um, it's There's history. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, like, a lot of, you know, physics involved. And there's a reason, you know, there's definitely... How am I, tr- how am I trying to say this? Um, you can't just go in and tie hair into a wig and expect it to fall the way you want it to. Mm -hmm. There's a science behind it. Right. Um, And so um, it involves, you know, geometry, understanding degrees and shapes, Mm -hmm. um, angles, Mm -hmm. um, how hair falls. Yeah. You know, and so. Like scalp mapping, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding someone's features and why your hairline works for your face and Mm. dimensions, you know? Right. So, yeah. Probably on more of like an anthropological aspect of it goes right down to, um, I hate to say race because race is a human construct, but where in the world you're situated and how your hair texture falls in in that place and learning about like the history of of that. And the only reason I even bring it up is because eyebrows, <laughs> like yeah. just that I can see. I, I, I mean, if somebody has a little bit of Asian in them, I can always see it because of the shape of their eyebrows, do you yeah. know? And it's the people like, how do you know that? Yeah. And when you see enough of it, you just kind of get to see that. So I imagine it's very similar with hair is the more just different scalps that you see and textures that you see, you can kind of learn that, but then also make, you know, transfer that into wig making. And, yeah. and that's really so yeah. fascinating. Super fascinating. Okay, sorry. So, um, so you started training with um, this gentleman. What was his name? I'm sorry. Joseph Paris. Joseph Paris. Yes. Uh, yeah, and and he. That was a really interesting experience because I spent half of my time in the hair salon mm-hmm. and then seeing clients. And honestly, it was like the perfect situation because I felt fulfilled. Like I was getting to see clients at this high-end salon. And then on the other days that I wasn't at the salon, I was working at Joseph Paris. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was working directly with people um, who had either cancer or alopecia. So people that would come in and talk to me about, you know, I'm about to date and I'm terrified. Yeah. How do I share with this person that I'm wearing a wig? Mm-hmm. Or um, 
someone, a kid, just wanting to wear their wig at summer camp and go swimming. Just wanting to go swimming. Yeah. Um, and then even, you know, working with people that were undergoing chemotherapy and, you know, after maybe their second week of treatment, their hair starts to fall and then they would come to me and I would basically be the person to shave their head off and wow. be there to hold their hand because obviously that's such a, that's a, a very real moment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it makes all of what you're going through very, very real. real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's beautiful that people trust you to be that person with them. Yeah. Um, and, to, so. and to walk, to walk them through that journey. Yeah. And and also the entire journey, right? Because you're shaving their head, I imagine, but then also making them awake. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that's that's so special. Yeah. So, how do you um, how do you decide what is going, what style, what color, what texture, what everything per client? Do you sit down and speak with them? Do you look at what their hair used to look like, or how do you come? How do you do that? You know, it really depends on the person. Um, but I have a pretty lengthy conversation. Um, I sit down and, I mean, we talk. Mm-hmm. We talk about everything. Sometimes people tell me their whole life story. And then we get to the, to the point where they're just like, okay, now I, I want, you know, blonde hair this length or whatever. But just in, like, sitting down and, like, really talking to them about their lifestyle, lifestyle and their story, um, I am able to figure out... Um, what it is that they want. I I do feel like I see them. Yeah. Um, and I know that the feedback that I get from people is that with me, they feel seen. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, I, I feel, I truly feel like it's a gift. It's not anything that I can really put into words, but, um, I do see them. Mm -hmm. And then I also, you know, talk to them about, I have them provide, uh, visual references. Mm -hmm. Um, and we talk about everything. Yeah. So, yeah. And then we come to a decision together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ah, yes. uh, you know, um, we were talking before that I grew up in a really, really rural town in small upstate New York, and I remember my friend who does my hair now, Kim. Like, I just remember the first time feeling seen because she said, "Oh, your hair does this." And I was like, "Yes, girl." She's like, "Oh, and sometimes it does this and this, right?" It's like, "Yes." At 30 years old, for the first time, see, being feeling seen, it's it's a really, really incredible feeling, and it's something that I didn't realize was so important with hair specifically, yeah. because it's something yeah. that, it's so personal, mm. and everybody has their own like hair strife, and, and it means something to them, and culturally it means different things for different people, and so to have somebody who exactly, who just sees you, the true you, it's, mm. it's really special, and that's yeah. incredible that you can give that gift to people, along with the physical gifts <laughs> that yeah, you get to give yeah. to people. So, um, but your career, you've also done film, right? A little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, so before I did any of the film stuff, I worked on Broadway mm. and I made wigs for a lot of Broadway shows. And for one of the, the main shows I worked on was Motown and which was pretty amazing because I took quite a bit of like knowledge from there um and because of that opportunity what's funny is when I made wigs for Motown I made a lot of afros yeah a lot of afros and then you know fast forward 
maybe four years after that, um, I get an opportunity to make a wig for, uh, or actually, I, I, so let me see how I backtrack here. So first I made a wig for um, Spike Lee for She's Gotta Have It. Mm. And that was a cool opportunity because I was, at the, at the time, the primary hairstylist was taking wig making classes from me. Oh, wow. And so I was teaching her. Yes. And, you know, she was just like, oh, we need a wig. Can you make a wig for this actress? So I was like, sure. And then uh, maybe a year after that, um, I guess Spike Lee was working. They were filming um, Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, during that time, then she was like, oh, we need an Afro wig for John Washington's character. And it was just really funny to me because I was just like, oh, all of those wigs that I made for Motown. Yeah. Like. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yeah. So. Do you know why I love this story so much? Did you see um, Good Hair? Yes. So do you remember when he goes in, when Chris Rock goes into the wig making shop with the afro and he's yeah. like, oh, you guys want to make, like, why, why don't you want this hair? And they're like, nobody wants this hair. So <laughs> I love that it's, it's granted, they, these were period pieces, but in the cultural zeitgeist right now, natural hair is back as you and I were talking about. Yeah, so yeah. I love that 10 years later, I think that movie came out in 2009. Yeah. 10 years later, here you are making Afro wigs. I love it too. It's beautiful. Listen, I maybe four years ago uh, took a one month hiatus and went to Asia and, you know, to meet with hair suppliers and to source hair. Mm-hmm. And I, my journey started in India. Mm-hmm. And when I was in India, I was meeting with the top um, hair, hair suppliers out there uh-huh. or manufacturers. And um, I remember bringing them samples of really coily, like kinky, coily, be- like just, I was like, I need this hair. I want this hair. Yes. And they said the same thing. They were like, nobody wants that. And wow. I was like, yes, they do. Yes. Yes, yes. they do. Yes, we do. <laughs> I want it. Yes. I couldn't find that hair anywhere. I was going to say, where did you, where did, how, how, where, if you can spell it, you don't have to tell any yeah. secrets, but I'm curious because of good hair and they said they showed off, most of it comes from India, much of it. So the so hair comes, generally. most of it comes from India. Yes. Um, and then, uh, it's auctioned off. Okay. Um, to places like China and, you know, Vietnam and other places. Um, but yeah, it does usually... The bulk of it comes from India. So how do you get kinky hair? So I, I don't have any problem sharing this because it's not a secret. Okay. It's, not, <laughs> it's not an industry secret. Okay. But like, I mean, obviously, you know, some of the factories in China, you know, caught wind, you know, that people were like really interested in this texture and looking for it. And I mean, you can find it anywhere mm-hmm. in China. They... So they just take Indian hair and make it kinky? Is that what it is? Yeah. So they, they, it's like a blend, yeah. probably, depending on, you know, which fact. There are probably, you know, tens of thousands of factories mm-hmm. out there. So yeah. this is, like, not a secret. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So they'll take either um, Indian hair or they'll take... Um, 
some type of maybe Mongolian hair, um, some Chinese hair. Sometimes they'll blend it. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. they won't. Like, at least I know for sure, like, with the, the, the hair, like, Chinese hair is very um, coarse and thick in diameter. Mm. So you can do more to it, right? So they can process oh. it more. They can s- strip down the cortex and without the hair, you know, turning into nothing right 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 whereas indian hair is a little on the finer side and actually is really beautiful in its natural state Mm -hmm. it's softer so yeah so most of the time with the indian hair they don't really do a whole lot to it yeah um but like it really just depends and sometimes they'll blend the hair sometimes they'll blend it with synthetic Mm -hmm. which is when you hear that there's a blend that's what that means Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sometimes they'll um I mean, you have to be careful. Sometimes they'll blend it with animal hair, too, so you just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. can't just, like, go and buy hair from just anyone. Right. But, yeah. Right. Um, that was a really interesting detour. Thank you so much for, yeah, no for problem. taking me down it. I'm curious about the way that things are made. And people are like, why do you care about this? But, I don't know, it's very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Klan- I loved Black Klansman. Great film. Saw it with my dad, the only two in the in the matinee, and just like sobbing at the end. Yeah. Um. So anyway, um. Okay. So where are you now? Do you think so? That was what two years ago that we, um, yeah that yeah Benjamin came out. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so now, currently, what are your goals for the future? So, um, currently, um. I own a business, a wig business, that I launched about three years ago, okay. which has been a whole experience. <laughs> tell, the people, tell the people's the name and okay. where they can find it. <laughs> so uh, the company's name is Hers by Chantel, which mm-hmm. I recently have realized now all of a sudden there's like a million companies named Hers, mm-hmm. but uh, it's named Hers by Chantel. Um, you can find it on Instagram at Hers by Chantel. Uh, I also have a website, hersbychantel.com. Um, and I decided to name it hers, um, maybe five years ago. And the reason that I decided to name it hers was because the majority of the people that were coming to me with hair loss, um, were feeling, they weren't feeling empowered. Mm. Um, and so I felt by naming it hers, it kind of like, it it gave them that power back. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I started the business, um, three years ago. I thought about it five years ago. And now, um, I currently make a lot of custom wigs, Mm -hmm. but, um, what I'm trying to do is to move more into mass production Mm. so that, um, I'm not physically making everything. So, you know, people can find really quality, beautiful, bespoke wigs, um, that are designed by me, by, by a wig maker, mm-hmm. not just someone who's like, I'm going to take a frontal and s- stitch it on a cap and yes. sew down some wefts. Yes. Like you're actually getting something, getting a product by a, a person that is a wig maker. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can actually craft it from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I can tear it apart, build it up, do whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So that that's currently what I'm doing. Um, in addition to that, um, I also teach. So, uh, one of the things that I really, um, 
love to do is to teach industry professionals um, wig making so that, you know, when they have clients that come to them with any type of, you know, hair loss, that they too can be there for their clients the way that I've been able to be there for mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And also increase, you know, revenue. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, that's really important to me, especially like within the black community. Like mm-hmm. I want to help people. Yes. Help themselves. Yes. A hundred percent. One of my goals also with this podcast is because I think that, you know, I came from a, a family where education was super, super important. And always you go to university, you get a degree, you work for somebody, what have you, which was true for a long time. And then like you and I were just talking about 2008 happened and everything changed, right? Like you don't, well, one is I went and got a trade, I learned a trade, excuse me, and saw that for $10,000, you can make a lot of money. You can like work for yourself and you can work directly with people. And, um, I think it's important to talk about that because I think people look down on trades. Um, and understandably so within the black community, we want to lift each other up right we want to raise higher and all of these things which is very true but there's something to be said for being able to give back to your community working for yourself making a very good living working for yourself and teaching other people how to work teaching men how to fit men teaching women how to fish right yeah Um, passing on the trade and everything so i love that that's part of your mission also i think it's really beautiful and very important yeah i mean i i just have always felt like you know the bulk of the hair comes from Asia, um, North Korea too, and the number one, pretty much, like number one, number two consumer, black black women, mm-hmm. you know. And how many black-owned beauty supplies do you see out there? Not very many. Not very many. Not very many and if you do, they don't last very long, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, this this has always just been something that I've been super passionate about um, because I do believe it's a gift. And I feel in my heart that if you have the knowledge um, and the skill set and the drive, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. So to me, it just makes sense. Yes. It makes sense. Yes. I 100% agree. And especially the knowledge because somebody has to teach you, right? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> This is so lovely. <laughs> You're so lovely. Thank you. Um, thank you for talking with me. So Hers by Chantel. Yes. Hers by Chantel on Instagram. Hers yes. by Chantel.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's it. You're a dream and a doll. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for everything. Hey guys, that was our interview with Chantel. What did you all think? I really loved it. I mean, hair is so important to people, I think especially to women. And to have the ability to help someone who has lost their hair or their hair is thinning is just huge. It's literally life changing. And I think that Chantel has definitely changed a lot of lives. I 100% agree with you. I know that she's changed so many lives just based on being around her, seeing her tell her story and being around her aura. She really does truly have a gift. And I know what it's like to walk around with crazy hair and to like not have people <laughs> understand it and not to understand it yourself and to meet that person that sees you and to, that understands your hair and helps you discover who really who you are through your hair so that you look in the mirror and you see the person that you always imagined yourself being. It's a gift that is so 
priceless and it's incredible she gets to give that to people it's true i really loved it yes so uh for more information about chantelle and hers by chantelle you guys can visit her website hersbychantelle.com or visit her ig at hersbychantelle and guess what dudes next week our guest is going to be Cassie Lopez. She's an incredible celebrity piercer. She owns her own shop also here in Williamsburg. But she's also the first person that I interviewed when I began this project. And she's also the last guest in our pre-COVID-19 season. So I feel really bittersweet about that. I feel like we've come such an incredible way since the beginning of this. Three weeks ago, the world was totally different. And now Alex and I, we did it. <laughs> no we did it yay well not yet we still have another episode we still have another yeah, episode okay. don't celebrate yet <laughs> don't celebrate yet um maybe we'll have to have a little like drink yes we'll have, maybe, we'll have, oh, maybe we can make our covid cocktail that Lacey tells us about next week's episode <laughs> oh my god yes we'll give you guys a little glimpse <laughs> definitely don't worry we're not going anywhere we're going to continue doing what we do best, which is talking shit. Yes. Talking skincare. Yes. Making each other laugh. Yes. And bringing in all of the incredible women that we are so lucky to call our friends, colleagues, neighbors, and clients in to chat with us and share their incredible journeys with you. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I can't wait to continue this. I mean, it's been really crazy, but honestly, it's just been a really fun adventure, kind of, now that we're here and figured out how to record and how to bring other people into our um, show. It's going to be fun and it's going to be great moving forward. So please write to us. Let us know what you thought of our first round of guests. What did you think of our first round of episodes so that we can keep making more of the shows that you guys want to listen to. My goal was to just bring incredible diverse women that look like our community if you're listening to this they probably look like your community so just tell us if you have any ideas who you want to listen to the types of shows that you like so we can keep trying to make incredible content for you guys yes and um, don't forget to write your questions to truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail you can visit us at www.truebeautybrooklynpodcast.com you can also dm us on instagram at truebeautybrooklyn and you can also rate and review us on apple and on spotify so please rate and review us is what i mean to say yes please rate and review us only if you liked us yes Please don't leave us any negative reviews. Please. <laughs> we won't be able to handle it. I know there's too much else else going on for me to there's handle. Too much. Um, or at least tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell your aunties. Tell yeah, your mama. Aunties, tell your grandmas, cousins. Everyone. Tell everyone. Honestly, even sometimes 40-something-year-old men like to listen to us. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, you can literally just tell everyone. <laughs> I don't know who that 40-year-old man is, but give us a shout if you are. That's hilarious. <laughs> and we will see you guys next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.